years ago, I read a quotation from someone who was then a pitcher for the Houston Astros. And he said this, tongue-in-cheek, I presume, all I want is to have less to do, to have more time to do it in, and to get paid more for not getting it done. Well, you're smiling because you feel that way too sometimes. The longer we live, the busier and more complicated life becomes, right? When I was uh, pastoring in the Chicago area, uh, I went into our church library one day and I found a little book called 202 Things to Do. Now, if we did a survey here and asked people, do you think this was a book for adults or a book for children? I am sure there is no adult that would get the wrong answer to that question. In fact, can you remember the last time you said, I don't have anything to do? <laughs> You're laughing, right? I mean, maybe I was in junior high the last time I said that, and in fact, there was plenty for me to do. What I meant was there's nothing to do that I want to do. Responsible adults don't have the luxury of doing mainly what they want to do. There's so much we have to do every day that we could write our own list of 202 things to do every day, right? After someone becomes a believer in Jesus Christ, there's a tendency for the same thing to happen in the Christian life. When you're a baby in the faith, you don't have 202 things to do. You don't have many responsibilities. New Christians aren't given the burdens of the ministries of the church. Most of those go to the more mature, experienced Christians. New believers get to just enjoy being in the family. But just as physical growth brings more responsibilities, get a little older, okay, you're going to take the trash out now, you're going to mow the yard, you're going to help with the laundry, as physical growth brings more responsibilities, so spiritual growth brings more responsibilities in the family of God as well. And as you mature in Christ, more opportunities come your way too. As you grow in love, as you grow in Christ-likeness, your knowledge of the scriptures, your burden for other people grows. Both lost people and Christians, and you want to show Christ's love in more and more ways to more and more people. And as it snowballs, a spiritual life that began to seem so simple in the beginning can become eventually as complex and tangled as a box of coat hangers. Well, as tiresome and tedious as I've intentionally made it sound, is such a complicated Christian life necessarily wrong? I don't think so. Any more than it's wrong for an adult's life to be more complicated than a child's life. My life is infinitely more complicated than my two-and-a-half-year-old grandson's life is. <laughs> and it's not wrong for it to be that way. With maturity, whether it's, it's physical or spiritual, comes responsibility. And with increasing responsibility comes increasing complications and frustrations. Still, there are times when we want to make sure we're, we're not missing the forest for the trees. 
this is a, a dad can get so caught up in the job that he has so he can provide for his family and yet he can forget the wife and family he's providing for sometimes. So Christians can get so caught up in the responsibilities and the burdens of the Christian life and the ministries of the church that we forget the one for whom we are doing them and what? All the executives of the McDonald's Corporation, from the CEO on down, once a year spend one day with an apron on behind the counter at a McDonald's restaurant. And they do this so that they do not forget that all of their corporate complexities and responsibilities, managing multi-billion dollar budgets and construction of new restaurants and expansion and dealing with personnel issues on a scale of you know, hundreds of thousands, that all of that complex business is all done for the purpose of saying, here's your hamburger, of sliding a Happy Meal across the counter. And they don't want them to get so caught up in the complexities of international business that they lose the fact that it's all done to serve the simplicity of a hamburger or somebody. Get behind the counter of the word of God with me and be reminded from the most mature believer to the newest, regardless of the complexities and responsibilities you may have in your Christian life right now, let's remember and be refreshed by what the Bible calls here the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. It's in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 3, and in the translation I'm using, it speaks there of the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. The entire verse says, But I'm afraid, Paul says to these Corinthians, lest as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds should be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. This is speaking of, of the simplicity of a right kind of love and devotion to Christ. That, that's why the, the Bible, it's in your, in your hymnal rack there, ESV, speaks of, uh, but I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Well, Sincere. The word can be translated either as sincere or as, as simple. We'll, we'll come to that. I think it's better as, as simple devotion. The Apostle Paul was inspired by God to write this letter to these Christians in the Greek city of Corinth. And one of the reasons that this letter was needed, he thought, was because they had been distracted by what Paul calls in verse 4 as the message of another Jesus. See that? For someone comes and proclaims another Jesus, and that, that it happened. Well, just listen to the problem as he describes it in these first four verses. I wish that you would bear with me in a little foolishness. 
do bear with me, for I feel a divine jealousy for you since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. I led you people to Christ and I wanted to present you as the bride of Christ to, to him. But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere or simple and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus, and see this had happened to these people. If someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. And that concerned Paul very much. In other words, after Paul had left town, eventually men had come to Corinth preaching about Jesus, but they spoke about him differently than Paul had. Remember that Paul was almost certainly the first Christian to walk into this great city of Corinth. Imagine going up to Tampa or Orlando. It's a great city, and you come into town. As you drive in, you are almost certain you are the only Christian there. And your job, given by God, is to plant the church of Jesus Christ in that city. And he does, by God's grace. And he gathered this church, and he pastored them and preached to them. But the time came when he needed to, 18 months later, move on to another city and do the same there. And when Paul left, there, there was no New Testament to leave behind. It was still in the process of being written and hadn't been collected yet. At best, they had what we would call the Old Testament and memories of what Paul had taught them. So then other men came to town talking about Jesus. And when they met each other, the church there at Christ said, you, you know Jesus? Yes, yes. You, you, you believe in Jesus? Yes, yes. Oh, we do too. Oh, good. We're so excited. We've missed Paul since he was here. Please come and teach us about Jesus. And they did, but not in the same way that Paul did. Slightly different message. Many think that these false teachers had told the Corinthians about Christ in a way that, that caused them to look a little more to themselves than to Christ. In other words, to look more to their own good deeds and their own spirituality rather than to Christ's good deeds and Christ's spirituality to make them right with God. And as they, as they did, Paul says here, they were led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. It got unnecessarily complicated. And, of course, one of the reasons the Lord inspired Paul to write this warning is that this is a danger in every age. This isn't a history lesson. God inspired Paul to write this, and he preserved this letter. See, Paul wrote four letters to the Corinthians. We know that from what's written in First and Second Corinthians, which we actually know to be Second and Fourth Corinthians. But we don't have the first and the third one. God didn't preserve them. But he inspired and preserved for 2,000 years our letters to the Corinthians. And he did so because these are problems in every age. Satan will do all he can to present us with a counterfeit Christ too. He will deceive people. For example, he will deceive people into uh, teaching that Jesus was not born of the Virgin Mary. That Jesus was not sinless. 
that he was only a good teacher, that he was not God, that the Holy Spirit left him on the cross, or that he was not fully man, or he didn't rise bodily from the grave. And anyone who teaches something contrary about Jesus like these things is what Paul calls in verse 4, another Jesus whom we have not preached. And anyone who believes these sorts of things has been, as he put it here, led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. But direct public false teaching about Jesus is not something you're likely to hear here. And it's important to know that because it's not the only way to be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. You can have rock-solid, pure doctrine and still be led away from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. A true devotion to the true Christ and be led astray from the simplicity and purity of it by any number of things in a complex age like we live in. There's an infinite number of things to distract us from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ, even good things. So as complex as your life may be right now, even as complicated as your Christian life may seem to be becoming, I want to remind you this morning to love Christ with simplicity. That's the whole sermon in one sentence right there. To love Christ with simplicity. Now, the, the word that's in our translation uh, in, in verse 3, as I mentioned, led astray. Your, your pew Bible says a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Other translations have it as a, a simple and pure devotion to Christ. Uh, it, can, it can go either way. Either translation is true. We should love Jesus both simply and certainly sincerely. But I think in this context, the idea is loving him with simplicity. I think it's speaking of a simple and pure devotion to Christ, not one encrusted with a lot of habits, a lot of, a lot of things you've got to be doing, a lot of plates you've got to keep spinning all the time. But what does it mean to love Christ with simplicity? To do this, to do what Paul says here, do we have to quit our jobs and give away almost all we own and move to some rural area and build our own houses and grow our own food, do everything the natural way, read the Bible by firelight and sit on a hill and eat bird seed? Is that what it means? To have simplicity in our Christian life, loving Christ with simplicity? Do we have to be hermits to love Christ with simplicity? Or can we be business and professional people? Can we work hard with our hands? Can we be fatigued, perplexed parents? Can we be schedule overloaded students or singles and love Christ with simplicity? In other words, what if we say, look, I have an incredibly complex life, but I believe these circumstances are basically given to me by God. I'm overwhelmed with responsibilities at home, but it's God who gave us all these children. God put me in my job, I believe. I'm doing the, the work God has called me to do. But, you know, it's a 70-hour-a-week job sometimes. Or I have to work two jobs to make ends meet, and I believe that's the Lord's will for my life right now. But that makes life very complicated. If God has 
done that, how can he ask me to love him with simplicity? Well, first, I want us to understand that loving Christ and living the Christian life is not to be first on an impossibly long list of things to do. It's not just another thing to add to our things to do. In other words, it's not as though a person is incredibly busy before they come to Christ. Then after they come to Christ, good news, you're forgiven. However, you've got a lot more to do now. That's not good news. That's not freedom. In fact, I would go so far as to put it this way. Loving Christ is not even to be the, the first and most important thing on our list of priorities. Jesus did not come to be first on an impossibly long list of responsibilities. He came to be the center of them all. So the old priority list of God first, family second, church third, work fourth, or something like that, that, that doesn't work. When do you finish with number one so you can go to number two? When do you finish with God so you can deal with your family? When are you done with family so you can go to work? That doesn't work. Rather, Jesus isn't, didn't come to be first on an impossibly long list of priorities and responsibilities. He came to be the center of all of them. So at work, he is the center. When you're a family, he is the center. With everything, he is to be central. Not first, and then you check off, well, I've done that, now I'm going to work. But rather, he is, he is the center of our work life. He is the center of our home life. He is the center of our every part of our life. So to add Jesus and the Christian life to a life that's already too busy only complicates life even more. That's not what we need. But to love Jesus as the center of everything, as the reason for everything, that incredibly simplifies life. There is a perpetual simplicity when Jesus is at the center of everything. No matter how many rings develop around the center, no matter how it swirls like a hurricane around the center, there's still a simple simplicity of Christ at the center of everything. You know, at its core, basketball is a simple game. Put the ball in the basket. That's basically it. The coach of the first team I played on as a child didn't try to teach us too much boys in the basket put the ball in that basket see these lines stay between these lines and don't hurt each other that's about as complicated as it got but as players get older things become a little more complicated you learn a little more about how to dribble and pass and you learn how to run different plays okay when you guys come down the floor you come and stand here on the free throw line and you go down this side and you go down this side you pass the ball here and it gets a little more complicated and you learn a man-to-man -man defense and a zone defense and different kinds of zone defenses and it gets more and more complicated as players mature but all of those complications are still designed toward one end put the ball in the basket it's still a simple game no matter how complicated the things around that become well 
The Christian life for a new Christian is real simple. He just loves Jesus. <laughs> we, and we just hope he stays between the lines and doesn't hurt anybody or hurt himself. But as that Christian matures, it gets more complex. There are intricacies and complexities to the Bible and to the Christian life he didn't realize at first. He becomes a Christian and say, hey, do you know Jesus is coming back? Really? Really? Yeah. He's coming back bodily. And every eye will see him. Really? When's that going to happen? Well, the Bible talks about that. But there's different understandings of that by people who love the Bible just as much and love Jesus just as much. Really? What? Well, there's this thing in the Bible called the millennium, and some people believe it's a literal thousand years, and some believe it's symbolic of, of just a very long time. Okay. Well, some people believe that Jesus is going to come back before that millennium. Make sense? Well, but some people think it's going to come out after that. Oh. And then some people think he's going to come back in the middle of that. And some people think there actually isn't a literal one at all, but it's just going to be a long time. And <laughs> it starts to get complicated. But no matter how complex that Christian theology becomes, and no matter how many responsibilities in the church he has, it should all be done for one simple reason. He loves Jesus. At first, you just show up. Man, we're just glad you're here. And he's like a fly on the screen door. Every time you open the door, you know, there's that fly on the screen door. There's that guy. He's at church every time the door's open. He just loves being here. And you say, hey, man, how would you like to help pass out the bulletins? Really? I get to do that? Yeah, okay. And he's all over that. And it then becomes something else and something else, something else, and finally begins to realize he's here a lot, and he has a lot of responsibilities and things that the church are leaning on him, and it begins to be complex. Not like it was when he just could show up and love Jesus. But that's because he's maturing. And as you mature, things get more complex, more responsible. And that's not wrong. And that's where many of you find yourselves today. But my message to you is, at the center of all that, don't lose the simplicity. It's all about loving Jesus. got responsibilities at the church do them because you love Jesus things getting frustrating at the core are you doing them because you love Jesus that simplifies a lot of things it's giving one purpose one direction one motive for everything love for Christ that's how Paul lived. That's how he writes about it in the New Testament. Christ wasn't just first on Paul's to-do list. He was the center of his life. Everything in his letters, you notice that ultimately relates to Jesus. So when you read in his letters, you read of him using terms like this, of being in Christ, being of Christ, doing things through Christ, by Christ, with Christ, for Christ, and from Christ. In fact, he said that for him to live is Christ, right? 
That's what we're talking about, where he is the center of everything. He is my life. Now, Paul would have to sometimes support himself, make tents, but he made tents with Christ. Christ was the center of that because he was doing it for Christ ultimately. Everything he did was for Christ so that he could say, my life is Christ. It's all about him. He's at the center of everything. In fact, to live is Christ and to die, he said, is more of Christ. Now, don't think he thought and lived this way because life was a lot easier in his day. Let's look down to verses 23 through 28 of this very same chapter where he describes his life. You think he didn't have ulcer-producing conflicts that you get from the world? In verses 23 to 25, look at that. He talks about how many times he, he suffered for the sake of the gospel. <clears throat> he said, I had far greater labors, far more imprisonments. How many you had? With countless beatings. In other words, he said, I have lost count how many times I have been beaten for the sake of the gospel. How many times you've been beaten for the sake of the gospel? How about you, Paul? Well, let's see, there was, I don't remember, it's been too many. Often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews, 40 lashes, less one. 195 times a leather whip across his back because of the gospel. How about you? Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned there in Lystra. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. You get tired of traveling? I get on 100 airplanes a year. I've done that for 23 years. I'm tired of getting on airplanes. I'm tired of having to rush out of worship services and breathlessly, you know, and, and shove down the turkey ranch and make it market fresh sandwich that Max is getting for me while I'm getting dressed when I leave here. You know, eating that, shoving that down the way to the airport. People say, you get a lot of frequent flyer miles for that. Yeah, you know what that means you get to do? The one thing you don't want to do, get back on the airplane. But do you think, if, you, if that describes your life, do you think that that's unique to you and to our time? No, Paul said, I've been on frequent journeys. He got the original frequent traveler miles. He was tired of traveling. He had no home. But because of Christ, he was on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, flooding, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, toil and hardship. Well, at least in those days, they could sleep in, right? No, he said, many sleepless nights, hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, <laughs> you know, set that aside, there's a daily pressure on me of the anxiety for, for all the churches. Here he is, as brilliant as an Einstein, as, as deep, deeper than a Luther or a Calvin in his theology. And yet, despite all of this, all of these complications, all of these burdens, all of these frustrations, which is far more than any of us can name, this is the man who earlier in the chapter is the one telling us, reminding us about the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. So did you catch that? This isn't some pious platitude for people in a terribly complex age. Slow down, settle down, just 
try to live more simply. This is a man who had a much more complicated and painful struggle with life than any of us. A man who, because of his spiritual maturity, had God-given responsibilities that resulted in these God-given frustrations and wearing down of his body and physical beatings and all these things. That came about because of what God had given him to do. This is the man who tells busy people with complicated lives, love Christ with simplicity. Life doesn't get simpler. It only gets more complex and frustrating. You get more text messages now than you got a year ago, right? You get more emails now than you got a year ago, right? There are more things you got to check on the internet now than you needed a year ago, right? And that's going to be true every year for the rest of your miserable life. More Facebook posts to check, right? Not fewer. Because you've got more Facebook friends out there, and you're going to keep having more Facebook friends. And all of this. But in the midst of all of that, Paul says, you can still love Christ with simplicity. It's not pie in the sky. It's real. But it's an intentional thing. It's a discipline. And we need to be reminded of it. And that's what I'm trying to do this morning. That no matter how complicated life became for Paul, he simply kept Christ at the center. No matter how many things were on Paul's daily to-do list, add working on the microphone is one of those. That was, we checked that before the service. Couldn't make it pop. So I've got a great reputation that said it's never done that before, and it never did after. Something about my constitution just makes microphones file up. I don't know what it is. But no matter how many things Paul had on his to-do list, Christ was at the center. So as, as we chafe, maybe, under all of our responsibilities, as we chafe under complications and frustrations that we think that shouldn't have to be there, we're still the people that underneath it all, the Bible says, keep Christ at the center. So how does this relate? How do we do that? When you feel overloaded, as I do every day, how does this relate to feeling that your spiritual life has become too complex? Getting in the Bible, that's just one more thing to do in an already overloaded, overburdened life. You tell me I need to take time alone to pray, guess what? I've got 500 other things that I need to be doing too. And they have deadlines. How does this work? Well, now we understand that reading the Bible or even working on Scripture memory isn't what's important. It's whether we read the Bible or work on it, our Scripture memory because we love Jesus. It's not how often or how long we pray that's important, but whether love for Christ is in our hearts when we pray. Not that we're getting something done. Giving money to the work of the kingdom and telling others about Jesus aren't just Christian responsibilities. They need to be expressions of our love for Jesus. Let me suggest a little tip for you that's always helped me that when I put that envelope or check in the offering plate, I just try to say, I love you, Lord. This isn't just an obligation. I'm just not helping the church pay the bills. It's not just a duty 
I love you, Lord. That's what we're talking about in all of these Christian responsibilities. Then in all of them, as we're doing them, we think, I love you, Lord. I'm doing this because I love you. Not I, I'm, I'm doing something I don't want to do, but, but I, like, I love you. Like I, I spank a child, you know, I do this because I love you. I really don't want to have to do it, but I do it because I love you. No, I, I, God gives me a love for his word, and I love to get in it, but I'm doing it not because it's on my checklist, but I love him. He's at the center of it. Feeding the hungry, meeting the needs of the poor aren't to be done just out of a mere sense of duty, but out of love for Christ. Making restitution for someone you've wronged, something you said or did, isn't something we do just to clear our conscience. We do it because we love Jesus. Serving in the church is not something we do just to maintain a good testimony, but we want to please Jesus. Now, sometimes these circumstances and responsibilities can be very complex, but there's a simplicity behind all of these things we do in the church and in our Christian life, and it's love for Jesus. Well, let me try to flesh this out in some real practical ways now. First, let me exhort you to lose your life in a simple and pure love for Jesus Christ. To lose your life in this. Jesus said in Mark 8, 35, For whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake in the Gospels shall save it. Jesus is God. He is infinitely good. He is infinitely loving. He is infinitely wise and beautiful and unfathomably deep, and he is worthy of losing your life in love for him. If you've not consciously done that before, do that today. His work of living and dying to make us right with God is done. And good news, you don't need a complex system of good works to be forgiven or get to heaven. All you need is to lose your life in a simple and pure love for Jesus. That's simplicity. You don't work your way to God. You simply love one who has already worked his way to God and accept the benefit of what he's done. Second, examine your life. So now I'm speaking to you Christians. Examine your life, Christian, to make sure you have not left the love you first had for Christ. Jesus warned people of that, didn't he? In Revelation 2, verse 4, they had left their first love. They had lost their life in a love for Christ. They had become believers, but then they got pretty busy and got distracted, and they left their first love. They had turned aside from a simplicity and a purity of devotion to Christ. Maybe that's happened to some of you here this morning. It's easy to do. How do you know? Well, do his words have the effect on your heart that they used to? If not, Jesus' counsel in Revelation 2, 5, the next verse is for you. Remember, therefore, where you have fallen. Repent and do the deeds you did at first. Forsake spiritual immorality. Come back to a pure and simple love for Jesus. 
being like these Corinthian Christians and listening to the message of another Jesus, that, that can happen to us too. It can happen not only when someone just preaches a different Jesus to us and, and heresy to us, that, that's not going to happen from this pulpit, but when our hearts tell us of another Jesus, it can begin to happen when we, maybe without even realizing it at first, believe Jesus, we believe in a Jesus who isn't as precious as other things. Oh, he's important, but he's not as precious or important as my work or as my family or as money or as sports or as entertainment or as education or as fishing or retirement or my hobby or some other pursuit. A Jesus who's not important, more important than that, that's another Jesus. That's not the Jesus of the Bible. We can believe in another Jesus when we begin to act as though Jesus isn't more desirable than anything or anyone else. We've started believing in another Jesus whenever Jesus isn't worthy of the time required from those other things. Examine your life. Make sure you haven't come to believe in another Jesus. Another Jesus than the one who's more precious and beautiful desirable than anything or anyone else third focus your life I've said lose your life examine your life now focus your life by making love for Christ the motive for everything you do everything you do my wife and I have a dear friend named Jean Fleming she lost her husband in November she wrote a book with a great title called Between Walden and the Whirlwind. Eventually they had to retitle it because not enough people knew what Walden was. <laughs> Didn't know what the reference was. She said, living the Christian life is not Walden. It's not going off in isolation to Walden Pond like Thoreau did. Nor is it the whirlwind. Living the Christian life is between those. It's having Christ at the center of everything. But in that book, she talks about the times when her husband's mentally disabled brother, Don, has lived with them, which has been a lot. It's nearly most of their marriage. He's always lived either very close to them because he needs help or actually in their home. And there have been a lot of times, she says, when she had many opportunities to prove her love for Christ by allowing him to direct her actions toward Don. And Jean writes this, I can take Don a glass of iced tea, encourage him with comments of appreciation, offer to drive him to the bike store to get a part for his bike, buy a special treat when I shop for groceries and leave it on his bed, overlook eccentricities that can irritate, all the while remind myself that someday Jesus will say, thank you for the iced tea trip to the bike store with a bag of peanuts why did Gene do those things not primarily out of love for Don he's hard to love but out of love for Jesus the simplicity of her love for Jesus on earth that means you do everything because you love Jesus. 
Oh, life gets so complicated. There are 202 things to do every day. But loving Jesus is still simple. A favorite verse of so many of us is in Matthew eleven twenty-eight, 28, where Jesus said, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. And I'll make your life harder. Right? No. <laughs> I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. For I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Didn't say life would be easy. It won't be. In many ways, it's harder to be a Christian. If there's rest for your souls, and his burden and yoke are light in this way, you know what it is? I mean, this verse is still true. He still invites weary and heavy laden people to himself. He's still gentle and humble in heart. His yoke is still easy. His burden is light. You know what the yoke is he puts on you? Just to love him. Just to love him. If you see him for who he really is, you find yourself irresistibly loving him more than anyone, more than anything. Because when the Spirit enables you to see him for who he really is, you realize there's none like him. There's none to compare. Just a simple and pure love for Jesus. Now, God willing, I'm about to go out that door, change clothes, head to the airport, and into what suddenly becomes a vortex of complications and hurry and frustration. But I hope God gives me the grace as I'm doing that standing in line to board the plane sitting on that plane and boy I'm tired why did I do this because Jesus I love you I got on four planes in 48 hours I spoke over 7 hours 48 hours people I didn't know don't know me why you know why I'm here? I love Jesus. Why not wear myself out? I love Jesus. And you've got to get up and go to work tomorrow. Is it just to pay the bills? Or is behind it all you love Jesus? Because he wants you to work. He wants you to provide for your family. He wants you to be a responsible adult. You've got a lot of hard things, complications, frustrations coming up this week. Is just something to endure? God give us grace to step back and then all of them say, you know, it's still pretty simple. I do all this because I love Jesus. And Jesus, I love you more than anything, and I can't wait to see you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the Bible.
Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for the church. Thank you for the simple message that doesn't require an education to figure out, doesn't require the intellect of an Einstein. Lord, I pray that the sword of your spirit would cut away the incrustations over our hearts that have made our faith sometimes very complicated and difficult. Not that it's, it's wrong. There are infinite deeps to the word of God, and you've called us to study it and understand it. Help us not forget in all that we learn and do that at the heart of it all is love for Jesus. May many find him irresistibly beautiful today. I ask in his name and for your glory.